Hi, I'm Sammy Shulman. I'm Josh Siegel. And that's it for today. Because yeah. we're the floater to pod Tuesday. That threw me off a little, Josh. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But yeah, it's Tuesday, the last day of the last month without sports, if we're any, with any luck. Hopefully. And so, yeah. So hopefully better things are coming for us in July, you know? Yeah. I really hope so. I mean, we need... Well, what would you say, if you had to give it a percentage for the NBA playing this whole thing out or the MLB, which one would be higher? I don't know, because I don't know the way things are going to look. I mean, because it, it, we don't know, like, how the situation is going to manifest itself. I mean, even a thing is like, you know, in football, Arizona just announced that they're basically reclosing everything down again and yeah. banning gatherings of more than five people for the next 30 days, and the Cardinals start training camp in 29 days. Yeah, I saw that. Arizona's not doing well. Yeah, we just don't know what things are going to look like, but I really, really hope it happens. Yeah. I mean, but that's talking about football. Yeah. You know, but, yeah, I, I'd i say basketball is the best chance of happening. Yeah. Uh, it just – the NBA just seems to be doing things the right way. Yeah. But you still never know. The, the NBA is the most competent league. Yeah, for sure. That's not really debatable. Yeah. But um, – The NFL – but like you've talked about before, the NFL doesn't really care about their players' health and safety, which is a pro in the football is happening category. Yeah, no. I mean, I've said it many times. If there's one league that I trust the most to care the least about the health of their players, it's the NFL. And I think, and the, I know it seems like it, but we're not actually sponsored by the NFL. Yeah, it, I don't want anyone mistaking this that Roger Goodell is not funding this podcast. Yeah, this is just we honestly feel like they're terrible. Yeah, they suck. They're the worst. So yeah. is baseball. So is college. College is worse than NFL, though, in general. Yeah, the worst is USA Gymnastics. Well, that's a different story. Yeah, everyone should watch Athlete A. It was an incredible documentary. But anyway, um, so should we talk about baseball? Well, let's do it. What yeah. do you want to talk about? Well, I just want, I think setting aside all the labor stuff, just the way a 60-game season will manifest itself, I think is really interesting. Yeah? Well, I think the most interesting thing is the way managers are going to use pitching staffs and bullpens throughout the year. Because if you think about it, I think we're going to be seeing relievers used at a heavier rate as some type of hybrid between the way they're used in the regular season and postseason. Because managers don't have to worry about pacing relievers over the course of a six-month season. That's cut in the third. And especially if you're a team like the Brewers, as just an example, who lost a couple bats and doesn't have great starting pitching, I think you're going to see a lot of teams really try to rely on one or two pitchers and one or two power hitters to get through. So you could see a guy like Josh Hader basically pitching every game or going two innings every other day or something like that. Just because they don't have to worry about pacing them. And then even with the team and even with – you're saying basically it's like, it's like starting on an August playoff push. Right. You don't have to worry about pacing them over a six-month season. I think the starting pitchers will also be interesting because I think you could definitely see a situation where, like, 
let's say you're a team like the Mets, and over the first 30 games of the season, you, you know, pace, you ease your guys back in, and then you're 30 games in, which is suddenly halfway through the year, and you're in a close wild card race or a close division race. I, I wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden they start using DeGrom every four days for half the season. Yeah, Even, I guess I see what you're saying. Yeah, or like it, let's just say the Astros get off to a slow start, which is unlikely, but it's baseball and it's plausible. Things happen over 20 or 30 games. All of a sudden, that's half or a third of the season, and suddenly Verlander needs to really become a workhorse. I mean, I just think it's going to be interesting, really the second half of the season, the way pitching staffs and bullpens are used. The second half of the season is funny. I mean, it's the last month, but it's the second half. No, I know. It's just, what a world. I think also, with the rule change, with extra innings, pinch runners are going to become so valuable. Like, Billy Hamilton's value skyrocketed, right? Because... Is he still on the Braves? Not sure where he is now. But just a guy like that, both because there are expanded rosters because of COVID, and because of that rule... All of a sudden, for any competing team, it's necessary to have a guy, one or two guys on your bench who will just be extra inning pinch runners. It's interesting, yeah. I mean, it, you know what else is going to be a thing? It's going to be like players like who are everyday starters but are fast, like you know Trey Turner, Acuna, anybody like that will be pinch running in that situation. Yeah when they're on their rest days. And I, but I also feel like a lot of players like that aren't even going to get rest days, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and I think another thing that I think, I think strength of schedule obviously matters more than ever this year. Yeah. But the one thing is that more than ever this year, at the same time, the teams at the top of their divisions have very similar schedules and you don't have to worry. All the only thing I worry about is that I think that they should have added one more wildcard team and done two from each division because it feels like teams in, like, the centrals will have a huge advantage. That's – I think I, – I was talking sort of in reference to the wild card, where I really don't see a world in which the Twins and Indians don't both get in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Royals are a little underrated, but even then, like, there's no reason why against – like the White Sox and Royals and Tigers that they won't get like 20 wins out of those 30 at least. Right, just they're, they're, compete, they're competing against completely different teams for the same reward, which is something we haven't really seen before. And like at the end of the day, the Indians won 93 games last year, the Twins won 100 games, and a third of their games are coming against teams who lost 105 and 114 games last year. And that's a significant... Yeah, I mean, one of the beautiful things about baseball in its long season is that you really get to play every... Like, you don't you, in a normal uh, MLB season, play every team in your league yeah. twice, like two series? Right. You have, you have home and away against everyone in your league. Um, and then you play... And then you have 19 games or so against... 19 all against, division. against the division, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, now it's just a smaller size, and because they're trying to keep it in, like, a coast-to-coast maintained um, bubble of sorts, even though it's not really – it just – it really does change a lot. I think that the Centrals are both the weakest – it's – I'm trying to say that the NL Central is the weakest division in the NL, and the AL Central is the weakest in the AL, but that makes it just so strange 
I, I also feel like the Dodgers are going to have an insane record. Yeah, because the Dodgers are a team that goes on hot runs, and like the Dodgers roster is just absurd. Like it's sixty games or one hundred sixty-two games. The Dodgers are a professional baseball team that contains Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, and Jock Peterson playing together in the outfield. They have Gavin Lux, Corey Seager, Max Muncie in the infield. Justin out- Turner. Well, Justin Turner is getting a huge benefit this year because there were times last year where he would have to be taken out or benched because of his lackluster defense. But now the NL is adding a DH. So he'll become the Dodgers DH, which is huge for them. Their rotation, they have Bueller and Kershaw. Question with them is their bullpen, as it always is. Um, And I, I think, you know, Listen, they're returning in a 106-win team and added Mookie Betts. Like, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I think – like, and I think, like, even last year, like, the, the Nastros were obviously a worthy World Series team and they earned it, but – they were no better than the fourth best team in baseball. Like I think the Dodgers, Astros, and Yankees were still clearly the three best teams. And I think that'll probably manifest itself again this year. But that kind of kind of segues into a point where it's like the great teams won't necessarily have time to become the great teams. Right. And and teams like especially teams in the central, like the Cardinals shouldn't really be a playoff team, but I feel like there probably will be the Cardinals like, always matter. The Cardinals will be relevant. The Brewers and the Cubs, all three of them will be relevant. And then the Reds have all these additions. I don't know. Like, like teams like the Phillies, who last year were not worthy of being a playoff team by any means, but through 60 games, they led the NL East. Yeah. So I think there it will be interesting how teams play it. Because – so I talked about the possibility, for example, with a team like the Astros, right, where you say yeah. get to the slow start and all of a sudden they really need to turn the intensity up for the last 30 games. There's also a chance that they just decide to go all in over the first 25 games and decide to get things done really fast and have the division wrapped up and then try to ease their way into the playoffs. I mean, I think it will be interesting to see the way those sort of super teams handle it. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about, like, the Rangers – and teams like that who are yeah. middle of the pack who will have a chance to really sneak into the playoffs. And there will be – there. I, I'd be willing to bet that out of the teams that you consider should make the playoffs, at least two of them would miss it. What's the category to you of teams that should make the playoffs? Just a list of teams that should make it? Yeah. I mean, if I were just to do a prediction right now, I would say my playoff teams are probably – Yankees, Rays. Yankees, Rays, Twins – Indians, Astros. Yeah, I, I would be willing to bet that one of those teams doesn't make it. Um, and, and like, I don't mean in the way that like, oh, of course, every year you're never going to be five for five in the play. But I really mean like, I bet you one of those teams seriously kind of shits the bed. Yeah, in the NL, I mean, Dodgers, Dodgers. Braves, Mets, and then one of Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs. Who knows how that will manifest itself. Um, and then I mean the I think there are a bunch of teams for the second wild card, like the Nats, 
and Phillies are both contenders. I think the Padres, I mean, don't count out the possibility that two teams from the NL Central make it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the Mets are a playoff team, especially because of the way – I think they're really conducive to a 60-game season because I think in a shortened season, power hitting and top-line starting pitching are going to matter more than ever because a power – it's like a power hitter – is always the type of guy who can really carry a team for 10 games. And all of a sudden that becomes a sixth of the season. And in the shortened season, relying on your top line starters matter more than ever. And having Pete Alonso and Jacob deGrom, I think. I kind of feel like I wouldn't be surprised if the Braves are the kind of team that isn't suited for this. Just because I don't think they're pitching. Like, I think pitching is going to be more important than ever. Yeah, And so I, I, I agree that I think the Mets are really poised to do well. I, I don't know about the Nats for sure, but I, when I think about like the NL Central, and I don't really want to talk about the Nats, like I'm biased, obviously. Like I, I think they'll make the playoffs, but who knows. But in the NL Central, like I look to teams like the Cardinals, who probably will manage to sneak in because they have the best pitching in the division. Like yeah. not just starters, but bullpen. They have one of the best bullpens in the whole yeah. Carlos Martinez was awful in the playoffs last year. Yeah, but everybody on that team is awful except for one inning against the Braves, really. But um, The Braves uh, are so much better than them. Yeah. I I mean, the Braves are a really good team. Yeah, they are. They're they're right under the tier, like the tier one. Yeah, I mean, but they were what, a 97-win team last year? Yeah, I mean, the Nats were so good since May 24th, the Braves were one game worse. Right. Like, they were amazing. And I think I'm not trying to sleep on the Braves. I'm just saying I don't think this is necessarily uh, exactly the ideal scenario for the Braves. I also think one thing that works in the Phillies' advantage, and is actually why I think Bryce Harper it would probably be my choice for MVP right now, is just that Bryce Harper is a ridiculous starter. He always gets off to fast starts in the year, and like like you said, they were leading the division through 60 games last year. And he's always a guy who just comes out of the gate incredibly and then usually sort of starts slumping in, you know, the June, July, August range and sort of brings down. Like he had – last year he had a really good first three weeks of the season. And this year that's a third of the year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, we all remember last year – I remember we were we were at – uh, Deep Creek, like together Memorial Day weekend, and we got in the car, and I was looking at the standings, and I was like, the Indians are like not even above 500 through 40 games. Yeah, and well, it's like that kind of thing is going to happen. Like the Indians were supposed to win the division, and then it just kind of fell apart early. And to the Twins' credit, they never let the Indians quite crawl yeah. back. Well, the Indians just got blindsided last year because they were trying their same strategy that they had done for the past couple of years which is basically they're just going to sleepwalk their way through the regular season and win the division. I mean, the year before, they basically had the most uninspiring division win ever. Like, they went 91-71 and 71 and won the division by 13 games and basically just half-assed the last half the season. They gave everyone extra rest and tried to sort of sleepwalk their way into the playoffs. And they were planning to do the same thing last year and just... The injury bug also hit them pretty hard. Yeah. And then they just didn't anticipate the Twins setting the major league record for homers in the season. It was a cool race between the Twins and the Yankees. Yeah. The Bama squad. Yeah. And the AL wildcard race was really fun. Yeah, it was. 
I mean, the Indians were the best team in the two wild card era that missed the playoffs. Is that true, like record-wise? Yeah, they were 93-69. and 69. And I mean, the <laughs> last weekend of the season, the Nats had already clinched the four seed in the, in the NL, but they still knocked like, the Indians out of playoffs. Yeah, they swept them. And the Indians, that series actually – because they were 93-66, and 66, and I had sort of been following it as they had a chance to become – the best team in the one or two wild card era to miss the playoffs. Cause the best one is I think it's the 98 reds were 96 and 66 and lost a game 163. So they were 96 and 67. So I, I was tracking that. The so whole if they game. had swept the Nats, they would have, they would have been the best it. team in the entire wild card era to miss the playoffs. How many wins did the Rays have? The Rays, the Rays had like 90, I think the Rays had 97, the A's had 98. Yeah. Like, crazy. They were really good. And even the year before, the Rays won 90 games and just finished. And I, like, I, like, I start to think how that's kind of possible, and then you remember what the bottom of the AL looks like. Yeah. It, it's, 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 there's such a gap. There's very few mediocre teams right now. Yeah, I mean, it, just in the AL, the legitimately mediocre teams right now, I would say Angels and Rangers and maybe White Sox. I think the Angels could be looking at like I, I not just as Anthony Rendon, but I also think like Shohei Otani will finally get back to the mound. Yeah. So I think the Angels in a 162 game season, I actually would consider the Angels as a possible playoff team. Um, I just think the schedule doesn't behoove them in comparison to the other teams. Oh, wonderful word. Thank you. But at the end of the day, really the only like bad team that they play is the Mariners. They have 20 games against the Astros and A's. And, like, I think – I do think having Joe Madden is a huge benefit for them. Because, the Rockies are terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's Arenado's story and a and bunch nothing. of darkness. Their pitching is just awful, and it doesn't help that they pitch at Coors Field. Yeah. Um, and I think a team like – Normally, I wouldn't say this, but a team like the Giants, who's just a veteran team, it could be that just having experience helps players get through this. It could also. Do you remember how the Giants almost made themselves relevant and ended up doing nothing at the deadline? Yeah. That's another thing that I think we need to talk about. This is going to be the worst MLB trade deadline ever. Yeah, because, like, well. Nobody's going to want to trade a prospect for a guy who they might have for one month. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of talk about Lindor getting dealt at the deadline this year. I don't see that happening now. That's not happening. Um, what year is he of service? Like four? No, it's much cheaper. He's a free agent like after this year or the next. I think it's after next year he's a free agent. So then right now he's four technically. Yeah, no, this year is year six. His rookie year was 2015. Is, is this year going to count as a full service year? Yeah, that, that's deci- they decided that even if there wasn't going to be a season. There was going to be. That could have been unfortunate for the Dodgers. Yeah. It would have been – it would have been rough. It would have been basically the culmination of this Dodgers team. Like it would have exemplified it? Yeah. I mean, this yeah. Dodgers team is – Very unlucky. The best extended sports run I've ever seen to never win a championship. Haven't they won six straight division <laughs> titles or something like that? Mm-hmm. Seven straight yeah. division titles, two World Series, um, I think four World Series appearances. 
two World Series appearances, four NLCS appearances, two 100-win years. Was this year, 2019, the last time that they hadn't made the NLCS in, like, forever? The last time they didn't make the NLCS was 2015. It's a pretty long time ago. 2016, they lost to the Cubs in six. 2017, 2018, lost in the World Series. Yeah. And then they had, like, really notable chokes in both 2014 and 15. Because in 14, Kershaw, his game one start was sort of an historic start in MLB history because he dominated. Well, he dominated and then just fell apart in the seventh inning. So he became the first pitcher in postseason history to strike out 10 batters and give up at least eight runs. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. What year was that? 2014. They wound up losing game one, 10 to nine. And then game four, they were down 2-1 and Kershaw pitched brilliantly. And then they were up 2-0 in the seventh inning and he gave up a three-run homer to Matt Adams. Hey, my boy. Yeah. Then next year they lost in five to the Mets. Daniel Murphy just was when he decided to become Babe Ruth for a postseason. My other boy. Yeah, I mean, that Dodgers-Mets series was fun, but they lost to Game 5 at home. They've lost – I mean, this Dodgers team has lost three winner-take-all games at home. They're the new Nats. Yeah, they lost Game 5 to the Mets and Nats. They lost Game 7 of the World Series to the Astros. Didn't the Brewers take them to 7? Yeah. But that was also a weekend. Yeah, and that was the Brewers were really good. That was the Brewers were better that year. They won ninety five games, and that was the weakest Dodgers team recently, at least. They they won like ninety one games that year. They beat the Braves and the Diaz. Yeah, um, I mean they traded. They got off to a really slow start, and traded off traded for Machado at the deadline. and he helped them, but Bellinger had a down year. And he Remember had, Machado, like, didn't hustle in the World Series? Yeah, it was a big issue. He really changed his reputation and cost himself some money in the playoffs. He really but, did change his reputation. Yeah, but Bellinger at one point even got benched during the NLCS. Oh, he was awful his second year. Yeah. Um, and he actually came back and won NLCS MVP. He was but, also bad in the NLDS against the Nats, like, like yeah. bad. And then, I mean, uh, except they, not defensively, defensively amazing. Yeah, and then they choked in the World Series against the Red Sox. I mean, they went down two nothing. Kenley was terrible. He's Kenley's just generally like sort of a playoff choker. And so is Kershaw, and that's an issue. Yeah, I mean, but I think the interesting thing with Kershaw is it was almost a media-created narrative that became true. Because if you actually look at the numbers up through 2017, the Kershaw choking narrative wasn't entirely legit. Like he had, it was more like his offense letting him down. Right. He had he had fine postseason numbers. He just had a few unfortunate instances that were beyond his control. But then people kept talking about it so much, and it got so much in his head that it basically played itself into existence. And 
just the past, I mean, this year and the year before, it's just. This year was terrible. I felt very bad for him. Yeah, no, one of the saddest pictures ever was him in the dugout. Yeah, nobody even consoling him or anything. And the thing I still don't understand about this game, and that game, and the thing I immediately identified after his first pitch, and no one has explained to me, is why it was the first time in his career I've seen him pitch from the stretch with the bases empty. And I didn't understand it. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, it was just weird. But, I mean... You know who was actually so good that inning? Who? Kenta Maeda. Yeah. And that whole DS, really. Yeah. Isn't he on, like, the Twins now? I think so, yeah. But, I mean, Kenley Jansen, like, he's taken a lot of big playoffs. I mean, he was terrible in the 2017 World Series. I mean, what's his name? Dave Roberts doesn't trust him at all, considering that he had Joe Kelly pitch two innings in a tie game in the ninth and tenth in the NLDS game. I just can't stand five. Dave Roberts. He's, I mean, as much, as much as Kenley Jansen is bad, Joe Kelly is worse. Much like, worse. And he's so streaky, and, and like, everybody knows that. Listen, I, I said in that game, those two innings were the epitome of Joe Kelly. Because... Yeah, dominance and then awfulness. Listen, I've faced, I mean, I've watched Joe Kelly many a time. And basically after the first pitch, I would either be really excited about how the next inning was going to go, or I would be really upset and just sort of mail it in. It's also funny that he was so good against the Dodgers in 2018 and then so bad for them in 2019. But I mean, in 2018, like, Jansen was bad. In game three, they were up one nothing in the eighth, and he gave a game-tying homer to Jackie Bradley Jr. They wound Didn't up... the Red Sox win three straight on the road? Yeah, or two out of three. Because the Dodgers won game three in 18 innings. Oh, right, yeah, that's Third true. Game went seven and a half hours. But then in game four, the Dodgers' bullpen blew a 4 nothing lead, and Jansen blew the lead in the eighth. Um, in game six, Chris Sale came out of the bullpen to close, right? Game five, yeah. And, and then in game five, Jansen also, when they were down, gave up a homer to Steve Pierce in 2017 against the Astros. Hey, that's your boy. I love Steve Pierce. He won and, MVP. Yeah. I was really happy for him. In 2017 against the Astros, Kenley Jansen blew a save in the ninth inning in game two. In game four, he gave up a homer in the ninth inning, but they still won. In game five, he took the loss, gave, gave up the game winning run. It's just. Like Jansen's Kenley point. Kenley Jansen had one appearance in the NLDS, and it was when the Dodgers were already up seven nothing. Yeah, he's just not good. I mean, like I really think even beyond Kershaw, the two things that have held back the Dodgers the most are Dave Roberts and Jansen, because like even Kershaw. Like, do you think it's to the point where they would be better off with a different manager? Yeah, completely. I mean, it's. Completely, I feel like there's some precedence to, for him to be fired. Yeah. Completely forgotten. 2017 Game 7. Kershaw basically had a Madison Bumgarner-esque performance. He was pitching on two days rest, came in, went four scoreless innings. I'm not sure the Astros even got a hit. Problem was the Dodgers were down five runs at that point. Hmm. Like, I just no one remembers it. 
Um, but it was like a big deal coming into that game that like, oh, Kershaw's going to pitch. And we know we knew he was. Wasn't it like Charlie Morton went off or something? Yeah, Charlie Morton was incredible. Um, he went, I think, five scoreless, I want to say. I mean, the thing that's forgotten from the 2019 Game 7 is Patrick Corbin's performance. Yeah. Here, I'm, I'm pulling up the lines from Game 7. Yeah, Kershaw went four scoreless innings. He pitched the third through sixth inning, gave up two hits. Um, and then, yes, Charlie Morton went four scoreless to finish. Or Who four, started that game for the Dodgers? You Darvish. He shot the bed. Yeah, seems that way. He's kind of um, he's kind of washed. Yeah, it, the Cubs contract yeah, is awful. Yeah, um, didn't make sense at the time, but I mean, he that, threw an Ephus. Remember that? Yeah, he's thrown a few. Yeah, but I mean, Kershaw, the big choke for him in that World Series was in Game Four or Five, sorry, where they were up four nothing, and then he just fell apart in the fourth inning, and the Astros tied it, and it turned into one of the most ridiculous sports games I've ever watched. I still don't know how to adequately describe what happened in that game. Still not sure. That, that is a very – it wasn't like 9-8 in extras. 13-12. Yeah. And, Correa had a walk-off, right? Or was it Springer? Um, Bregman. Really? Yeah, Bregman had a did, walk-off single. Did Springer or Correa score the run? No, Derek Fisher did. Huh. Look at that. Springer and Correa both had huge homers in the seventh. I guess that's who it was. Which, another part of that Dodgers team, Brandon Morrow completely fell apart in the playoffs. And he became unusable. Like, the, people forget in that World Series, by the end, the Dodgers' bullpen was really, really pressed. Because Jansen wasn't pitching well. Brandon Morrow fell apart. I mean, he gave up four runs in the seventh inning of game five without recording an out, I think. Um, and they really needed, like the plan for game seven was just going to be Darvish to Kershaw and Darvish just fell apart. Yeah. That was at home too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the Astros went up two nothing or five, nothing in the second and wound up winning the game five, one. Not a very good game seven. No, it was it was kind of upsetting because that pound for pound, that's the best World Series I've ever seen in terms of the total greatness of the game. But on the list for me, it's still third just because I can't put it ahead of 2011 or 2017 because best game in that World Series was game five. and Or 2016, sorry, 2016. I think Game 7 of 2016 and Game 6 of 2011 are the second and third greatest games in baseball history. And we will see you tomorrow night. Yeah. But actually, the one thing I will say is I've been re-watching highlights of a lot of the old games. Joe Buck is really good at a lot of these games. Yeah, that's like, true. He's I not act- a good football guy, though. He's not a good football guy. Joe Buck... And But even in football, like, if you watch YouTube videos of worst Joe Buck calls, it's all calls from, like, 2000s. Like, I think in the last five to ten years, he's understood the concept of getting excited. So, like, even, like, the Stephon Diggs touchdown or, like, you know, the Patriots winning the Super Bowl against the Falcons, 
like he seems to finally have an understanding of like how to rise to the moment as an announcer. I just let's put it this way. When I found out that I was going to have to, because of the way that the World Series worked and the fact that the Red Sox played Thursday night football, that I had to listen to him eight of nine days, I was very frustrated. Yeah. I mean, but I, I, I don't mind him in baseball. It's like if you actually look back, he sort all his calls for the biggest moments. Like, they're good calls. This Altuve? Decade. Altuve is a great call this year. And even if you just look at it, when he started as an announcer, he was young. And, I mean, he stuck, his first World Series, he was 25. And it just didn't seem natural at all. Everything was so prepared. So, like, when he called the Red Sox winning the World Series, it was so clear he had, like, prepared for that moment and had, like, crossed out what the right calls were. And he did the whole Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. And it was kind of monotone. And then when the Cubs won the World Series – he sort of just yelped, the Cubs win the World Series. And it was just a much better call and just much more That's exciting. a famous one. What? That's a famous one. Bryant, tough play. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's finally figured that part of it out. Even his call in the Stefan Diggs play was great. Sideline. Yeah, I guess. Um, and, like, I, I agree with the fact that 2000s Joe Buck is terrible. But, like, I, I do think Joe Buck has gotten better. And like, I guess. I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion. I, 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 it's just he works with a guy who I really don't appreciate. Yeah. I mean, he'll never be Al Michaels for me, obviously, um, who I just – I think is the best. Mike Tirico. Yeah, yeah. I think Al Michaels, Mike Tirico, and Jim Nance are my three favorites. Yeah, you know who I actually really like? Who? who I never get to hear is Ian Eagle. Yeah, I really like him. Like, he, he's, he does, like, the second AFC playoff games during, yeah. like, wildcard and division. the Ravens-Titans game. Yeah. I, I really – I just like his voice. Yeah, I've seen him do many Ravens games over the years. Do you know who I also just miss? Who? Gus Johnson. Yeah, that's true. Like, Gus Johnson doing March Madness was really something that just couldn't be replicated. Yeah, I mean, he's he was incredible. I like Charles Davis, but only because he sounds like he does on Madden. Yeah, but he's not a play-by-play guy, anyways. Yeah, and I miss Vin Scully. True. It. I remember in his final year, there were a couple nights where the MLB Network had Dodgers games on, and it was like showing the regional broadcasts. And like, I made an effort to stay up to listen to Vin Scully do the game. It's like incredible. He he announced for sixty seven years. Isn't he in their Hall of Fame? Yeah, he's arguably the most iconic Dodger. He actually probably inarguably, maybe after Jackie Robinson, the most iconic Dodger ever. You mean maybe after? What do you mean? It's not even close. Jackie Robinson's way ahead of him. Well, no, I'm saying maybe he's second. Oh, okay. Um. But, like, his first – like, the man called both Joe DiMaggio and Mike Trout. Yeah. Like, his first year was 1950, and his last year was 2016. And, like, my favorite Vin Scully stat is he, he holds the record for longest partner in the booth with a guy named Joe Garagiola. Is he also second – 
No, so he, he, him and Joe Garagiola were together for 34 years. That partnership ended, and he announced for another 33 years. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Didn't the Reds just have someone retire who had been around for a very long time? I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, Marty Brenneman or whatever. I don't know, but I, I remember they were playing the Brewers, and it's towards the end of the year, so I was watching because like, I was interested in the wild card race, and they honored him, and they talked about him, and like they put him in his ring of honor. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty Marty cool. Brenneman. And then the, sounds, the Brewers, right. Bob Euchre is an icon. Oh, then maybe he was the one who retired. I don't know. I, don't, I really hope Bob Euchre didn't retire. I would be sad. He might have. It, it might have been him, and the Reds were just playing them. Bob Euchre, famous for Major League. Um, in the movie. It, Bob Euchre is also one of the greats, but we should probably wrap up. All right. So, you want to yeah. do it? You go ahead and yeah, do it. It was a fun podcast. You know, anytime we get to talk baseball, I'm a happy person. I know. I, I can hear it in your voice. Um, but yeah, reminder to check out our Instagram at the FloaterPod website, floaterbotpod.com. FloaterbotPod? FloaterPod.com. Oh, okay. Yeah. And just remember to look out for the Orioles this year because. Hey, man. They are dangerous. They, they could win 10 games. It's. There's a chance. There, there really is a chance. It could happen. All right. So look out for that. They will not lose 100 games this year. Ah, don't count them out, Josh. <laughs> All right. Well, other than that, on behalf of Josh Siegel and myself, uh, it's my honor and pleasure to remind you all to stay loyal. <laughs>